the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you've joined us today on this Monday afternoon. You wanted to say sunny, didn't you? I looked outside. <laughs> it does not appear very sunny right I now. I just saw you call an audible. On this Monday. <laughs> on this overcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. It's better than we've had. Better than the weekend. Yeah, poor moms, man. It was uh, poor me. My son had two baseball poor games yesterday. Me. You're gonna say poor me on Mother's Day weekend. Poor oh. my wife on her mother. On Brian her from yesterday was a big day in my home. Mother's Day and my daughter's tenth birthday. All of my everyone in my house is double digits now. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, man. It, it is, and my wife's birthday is this Wednesday. Jeez, Louise! So it all comes at once, man. How do you do it? <laughs> You're saying that so sarcastically. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. So it's a lot of pressure. Uh, well, we're glad to cheer with us today. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can podcast us. Where can they find our podcast? I don't know anymore. Everywhere you find podcasts, go find the common good. And I don't buy uh, it. You can, uh, by subscribing and rating it, you can help us. Uh, <laughs> it becomes more accessible to people. It helps us in some way besides just making us feel good about ourselves and our time. It's here, so. fun to see you like try to plow through. <laughs> You're just making comments. <laughs> and you just keep on. like He's like literally turning his chair away from me right now <laughs> so as not to have to interact with me. I can tell all. that we could you probably had been a little sleep deprived coming in. That's every weekend. That's, yeah. <laughs> since Just the beginning of the sh- since week two of the show, ready to go. You can text us as I plow through at six eight six eight three. That's six eight six eight three. Type in CG followed by your comment, and uh, we would love to interact with you in that way. And now the segment is over. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. We're going to be back after the break. We're going to tell you the Facebook page again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. So Mike Pence, Mike Uh, Pence, the vice president, was at Liberty University over the weekend and uh, speaking to their graduating class. So uh, oftentimes, vice presidents, presidents, they will be invited to speak at universities. So he spoke at the Liberty University graduation this past weekend. There was a big petition to have him not speak at this graduation. Right. And as you remember, also the big petition that we discussed a few weeks ago that he's supposed to speak at Taylor University next weekend. Right. Uh, So there's a big petition there. And so. I want you to hear a little bit of Mike Pence's words, and then I want to know if you agree uh, with what he said to the graduating students at Liberty. So let's listen to what he said. You know, throughout most of American history, it's been pretty easy to call yourself Christian. Didn't even occur to people that you might be shunned or ridiculed for defending the teachings of the Bible. But things are different now. 
Some of the loudest voices for tolerance today have little tolerance for traditional Christian beliefs. So as you go about your daily life, just be ready. Because you're going to be asked not just to tolerate things that violate your faith, you're going to be asked to endorse them. You're going to be asked to bow down to the idols of the popular culture. So Pence, you know, to, to sum it up, he basically said uh, to the graduates, prepare to be shunned, prepare to be ridiculed increasingly for being a Christian. Uh, and you heard his words there. Not surprising, but I guess I'm curious, is he uh, is he right? And is it if he is right, is it a big deal? Is he right about what exactly? That they should be prepared to increasingly be ridiculed and shunned and ostracized, right? Because the whole point of a graduation is we are launching you out into the workforce. We are launching, you're going from your schooling into the world, right? And so he, in theory, is trying to help prepare them and get them ready for that. And he said, hey, something you are about to encounter, you might not have known it here while you were at Liberty. Yeah. Something you are about to encounter is increasing ridicule, increasing marginalization, increasing tide of our culture going against Christianity. And so he basically said, he said, so be prepared. So uh, I'm curious if you think he's right. And if so, do you think it's a big deal? I, uh, I'm i pro preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, we mentioned this last week. I don't know. That persecution is the worst thing to happen to Western Christianity. If it is increasing or not, I think is maybe debatable and probably not even really debatable with any sort of like conclusive end because how we define or how we measure, you know, how how do you really get a sampling of like, is it increasing or is it decreasing? That's pretty nebulous for me. And this is not doctrine. This is not theology at all. Um, I, I more have an issue with at a graduation, like, Making sure everyone's on guard, like, hey, it's yeah. it's a it's a big bad culture out there. It's a big bad world. To be prepared to uh, to get attacked, like that, to me feels almost like counter to what we typically want to be saying at events like graduation. And I always try to like see it through the lens as best I understand of the words of Jesus, who yeah. did say things like, "Hey, the world's going to hate you on my behalf," mm-hmm. right? He did say that, and and I believe that. Um, but that certainly wasn't the bulk of his message. Like, Hey, be on like, like be really scared of what's coming your way or like, watch out, you know, and even, you know, Paul talks about being on guard yep. I, again. I'm not, I'm not opposed to any of those things. I just wonder if subtly we're not perpetuating some of this, like on guard fist up type of posturing when, when we're saying to a room full of young graduates, like, Hey, it's yeah, it's going to be really rough out there. No, yeah. I think it's it's worth knowing that. I think there certainly are kids that maybe had never considered that 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 can be really helpful instruction yeah. and like you know to hold fast to um, to their convictions and that kind of stuff is really important. But sometimes, honestly, I think the world and culture comes after Christians not because of our convictions, mm. but because of our methodology. Yeah. And I think distinguishing those two is also really important. Yeah. It, it, I think you bring up a good point. Cause when I heard it, I was like, so what's the takeaway for a student who's sitting there, right? Like, okay, I'm going to be ridiculed or shunned. It, it almost is like be defensive, be ready to fight. And I also struggle with, it feels very fear driven in the sense of, do I think he's right? Do I think that there is going to be an increase of, ostracizing and ridicule to those of us who claim the faith of Jesus Christ and who want to follow more of a traditional view of the Bible, whatever it might be. I think so. I think he's right in that. But, 
but I also get really it's, it's like we got we were going from having it really good to having it good, <laughs> you know, and that's what sometimes when I hear rhetoric like this, it feels like it's going to be a war out there. You're going to go. <laughs> and I, I maybe I'm wrong. I in my nice suburban life, I like I don't feel that. Do yeah. I feel like I have some friends and acquaintances who might be less inclined towards the faith or less interested? Sure, I yeah. certainly do. But it's not like they're coming, you know, they're coming at me like, let's go. And I think you bring up a great point. I think the message to these students and to all of us should be, hey, it might not even be a bad thing. Like right. This is an opportunity for Christians to how we respond yes. is going to be really important in this discussion, not fight back all the time, not like right. get your defenses up. But, hey, what's it look like to enter into this world where maybe we are getting a little more ostracized and ridiculed? And what are the opportunities there for these graduates? Which we're actually seeing modeled for us at a global scale. A lot mm-hmm. of the countries where Christianity is outright illegal um, the church seems to be exploding the fastest. And again, so I'm not saying, you know, we like seek pain or we tr- let's try to make it illegal. Then I think that is, you know, a pendulum maybe swinging too yep. far, but we're seeing, we're literally seeing it played out on the global scale. Like, man, sometimes in the places where Christianity, where it's the hardest to be a Christian is where we see God doing some of his best work. And so yep. to, to perpetuate sometimes like, ah, oh, it's a big, scary world. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not, maybe it's context. A lot of it's context for me. Maybe yep. that's not the most appropriate or the most helpful posture when we want to look most like Jesus to be conveying that message to a bunch of graduates. Yeah. And I think also if it's going from a two to a four, let's not talk like it's going to a nine right, or a 10, right? 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 right. But that's let's good. instead go, Hey, be prepared for this. And but here's your role. Here's what it looks like to be light into the world and to to live out your faith in the context of today. And I think that would be a helpful message um, that hopefully I don't know how he finished it. So hopefully he went the rest of the way and maybe he went that way. Um, but if not, that's what we would like to say to you. Go out and and go be the light in the world and don't get your defenses up, but go out and engage people and show them the love of Christ. Well, we're off and running here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, uh, you and I are going to discuss about a high school that is doing away with valedictorians and salutatorians uh, to, quote, reduce competitive culture. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? And what does it talk about uh, about our culture? That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us here on this Monday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. And, of course, you could text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG, followed uh, by your comment. Well, Ian, before we went to break, we talked about... Uh, this high school called Mike Mason High School, uh, I believe it's in Ohio, and uh, this headline caught our eye. It says, Mason does away with valedictorian and salutatorian distinctions to, quote, reduce competitive culture. And so what this school is doing, we all grew, you know, we all know how this works, right? The number one student grade homeschool. I was homeschooled. You I were no the valedictorian of your homeschool. And so the number one, you know, grade weighted grade point average, they get uh, honored at graduation as the valedictorian. You're number one. I said it with a V again. The valedictorian. <laughs> keeping a tally. Yep. Uh, second place, right, is the salutatorian. 
uh, and it's it's a big honor. And what this school is doing, and I doubt that they're alone, is saying that this builds way too much of a competitive culture. It puts too much pressure on the children uh, or the students, I should say, and uh, that it's not healthy. So we should be honoring other things about these students or we should be encouraging other things. Uh, and when I first read this, I uh, I had a couple different feelings. One uh, was like, ah, I I think you've gone too far. Like this feels like you know participation trophies. Like let's you know give them something to shoot for. On the other hand, and this is why I want you to break the tie for me here. <laughs> on the other hand, I have a daughter in high school. Okay, she's a freshman in high school, and she's the studious type. She likes to. Uh, she probably she's that student who doesn't just do the minimum. She probably does too much with all of her work. And to be honest with you, man, uh, it's been eye opening about how overwhelming things are. She's doing great uh, in school, but it's not without a cost of a lot of work and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. Some of it self done, but also some of it just workload. Uh, so I do get this kind of like, let's uh, let's kind of pop that stress balloon even just a little bit. Uh, and let's uh, allow students to to study what they what they are more interested in and not have this kind of weighted grade point average. Who's the valedictorian hanging over them? So I do see both sides of it. Um, what do you think? How do you th- how when you first read this article, what was your take on? Yeah, good idea, bad idea that this school is going to this length. I'd really love to read some of our Facebook comments when we share yes. this article. <laughs> I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, a lot of conclusions that it's classic socialism that they're uh, <laughs> discouraging competition in kids. Which I read the article and other corresponding articles. It's not at all what they're doing. They're not discouraging competition a- at all. And I think um, I think that distinction is probably I think it's really important. My my wife, who is uh, a brilliant teacher, um, I asked her what she thought about it, and she said, "I actually think it's really helpful. I think it's helpful to." Uh, to celebrate different kinds of learning styles, different um, different learning approaches, and to uh, create distinctions that honor that. That you know, I mean, we talk a little bit about what it means to play to the test, which which uh, I think we often struggle with. In a like, you have kids in high school, um, yes, I do. and I I actually never had the typical high school experience. So for me, it's a little bit foreign to even understand what those pressures actually are like. But you've you've talked on the show a couple of times about how there there have been legitimate points of worry. You're like, wow, this is more crushing on my children than I remember it being on me. And I think the 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 approach to actually learn to distinguish different measures of success is actually more representative of the real world. And you know, so for the people that are like, oh, we to take this away is to prepare them for the real world. I'm like, what real world situation are are we having these distinctions in the workplace? Uh, other than employee of the month, maybe I don't know. I, I'm I I fail to see the connection between this particular distinguishment and how that corresponds with the quote unquote real world. So I would like to know though. Uh, so slippery slope is not always a good argument, right? We've learned that before. But with that said, you're going to uh, use it. <laughs> I am going to use it. Here's here's what I would like if I could have an administrator from the school say, and I would ask them because in the end, uh, my daughter. Uh, isn't feeling the stress because she's trying to be the valedictorian. Like that's just it. That's just an honor of like the highest of highs. The question is, are you still going to have uh, honors classes versus remedial classes? Are you still going to like, where is this quote unquote competitive culture? The problem, are we going to have this conversation about school athletics? 
Are we going to like, where does this go? If they're truly worried about the competitive culture, it feels weird that the only thing that would be done is take away. We're going to name the person who did the best, but instead we're going to. Doesn't seem weird to me at all. It feels like you're employing the same logic you went after Mike Pence in the last segment. Like, oh, where does it end? How does it, oh, if we do this, then we're going to end up doing all these other things. If it feels uh, fearful at best to assume, like, if you think it's a good idea, but say, I think it's a good idea, but where does it end? Do we do it with athletics and nobody gets to be the quarterback and nobody, like, to me, that feels, um, I don't know, unhelpful. I just think if it's truly about competitive culture, this isn't going to go very far to reduce it. Like, you've got to go a lot further. Like, again, um, the reason that, quite frankly, most of the students that I know go so hard at high school is because of what it takes to get into college <laughs> and because of, uh, I think we live in a competitive society. So on the one hand, I could say, okay, they're trying to take even a baby step to deal with that. Um, but I, I guess I just kind of look at it and go, okay, I don't think it's going to at all change that culture is my point. I don't think it changes. I think there's if you're truly going to try to be uh, countercultural and be like, no, we want to truly change our culture away from competitiveness. I think there's a lot of harder questions to ask about levels of classes. But um, I don't think that's their goal. I don't think in any of the stuff that I've read that they're saying ultimately our end goal is to do away with any competition at all because they're still honoring people. They're using the Latin honor system. I mean, my wife, this is the quote I was actually looking for. She said, teaching kids that success can look different and that we value and see the worth of those differences is actually really important. Yes. And I think that that's I agree true. With that. And I think that this is what the school is saying, too. They're not. Why Why distinguish anything at all or have grades of any kind if you want to do away with all competition? That's not their goal at all. What they're talking about doing is maybe inverting a system that isn't uh, accomplishing what they hope that it would. Yeah. And, and if that's truly what they're trying to get, I get that. Yeah. I, I go for that. And uh, we did have a couple audio quotes that I want you to hear. Uh, the first is going to be from a student named Ryan Griffin and the second from the vice principal that kind of helps get at this a little bit more. Uh, we should have fun in high school and not just try to push ourselves to the max. What it means to be happy and what it means to be successful. Um, and really, it's not just about the grade, but it's about the whole child. So I agree with those, I would say, but it's also about the grade, I guess, is all that I was trying to say before. I would Again, I don't know exactly how they're doing things. It feels like you could still have a valedictorian and hold up the other things. But if that's what this school is choosing, totally get it. Yeah, like, and I'm not saying you called. couldn't do both, but I do think, again, I'm going to kind of dig my heels on this one a little bit because the people that are making the claim, uh, prepare them for the real world. It's it's asserting the idea that the most accurate preparation for the real world is learning tests. And I don't think anything could be further from the truth. In fact, part of what I've praised my parents in our homeschool education is they taught us very early on, and I didn't realize this is what they were doing, was to think critically, to yep. think holistically. And I think their goal of moving towards like, hey, you are more than just how you do on this test. Yep. And there's a lot of schools of thought like, uh, are there actually people who you know are good or bad at tests? Yep. I've, I've often heard people like, yep. I just don't test well. Yep. And I've heard sarcastically people say like, oh, you just mean you're not smart. I actually don't think that's true. Not I think plenty of people that struggle with tests that may be not classically brilliant, but yes. because they'll never actually test well, they'll never be they'll never be valedictorian. And I think there's there there is some infrastructure issues there that I you know the school I think has some wisdom for going after. I th 
That's a conversation for another. I couldn't agree more about, (laughs) as one who has kids in public schools, I couldn't agree more about testing. In fact, Mm. we were one of the only families in our elementary school that pulled our kids out of some of the standardized testing Mm. and kept them home Mm. for that exact reason, a little bit of test-drivenness. So we would love to hear your feedback on this. We've got it already, this article up on our Facebook, and people have been commenting. Uh, So you can do that at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us at 68683. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk to John Collins. He is the executive pastor and the executive director of the Harvest uh, campaign out in California. We're going to talk about a contest that they're doing alongside with AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you are joining us today on this Monday afternoon. And we are excited to be able to talk to uh, Pastor John Collins. Pastor Collins, thank you for joining us today. Uh, It's good to be with you. A little bit of background, Pastor John Collins is the executive pastor of Harvest Fellowship Church in Riverside, California, and he's also the executive director for the Harvest Crusades. Uh, He has directed crusades and outreaches across the United States, Australia, and New Zealand that have attracted more than 4.5 million people. You can find more at harvest.church. And as a reminder, uh, a new beginning with Greg Laurie can be heard every weekday from 3.30 to 4 a.m. as well as 7 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. Uh, and Pastor Collins, uh, it's the 30th anniversary of Harvest Crusades that are coming up. So why don't you give our people just a little bit of background of what a crusade is, how it functions, and then also how it might look different as you guys are celebrating your 30th anniversary. Yes, well... You know, we've really begun these uh, crusades uh, 30 years ago, kind of in the tradition uh, of Billy Graham. You know, we wanted to do something back then that was um, kind of more uh, relevant to our generation. So we updated the music and um, made the uh, event uh, feel and look and feel a little bit more um, uh, festive, uh, built an atmosphere that was... uh, something that would you know people would want to want to bring their friends to and um of course uh, Mr. Graham over the years had been uh pioneering crusade proclamation style evangelism to um his generation and to ours but uh you know we we wanted to um in his uh uh footsteps kind of follow and to do something that uh we feel would would reach many people and mm. God has blessed it over the years so we've uh, been able to do a ongoing uh, crusade in Anaheim Stadium now for uh, 30 years running wow. and um, and and that has launched opportunities for us to go across the country uh, we've been to Chicago I think uh, mm. we were there in 2008 and um, we've been Australia New Zealand and God's opened the door for us to uh, to be a, a voice to our generation. We'll never um, be able to um, come up to the, the level of uh, Mr. Graham, but we wanted to at least do our part and, mm. and keep proclamation evangelism alive. So I'm, I'm curious, are there any stories that you can you can share? That one of the things that we love about this show is, is really diving into the stories of people who have been affected by various different ministries and efforts. Are there any that, that come to mind uh, sure. for you that well, are particularly impactful? 
Yeah, I think the one, in fact, actually, it was uh, brought to our attention when we were in Chicago in 2008 uh, of a man who was living there now. He was uh, formerly from Albuquerque, uh, and um, he uh, grew up in a Muslim home. His Hmm. name was Errol, and uh, he was actually very depressed. He was uh, abusing drugs and cocaine and uh, had come to a point in his life where he wanted to end his life. And um, he literally was driving down the road uh, and turning the dial, listen, looking for music, as he said, to kind of uh, end his life by. And he just happened to hear our, our, um, our ad for the crusade that had, you know, music that he, uh, that he liked and caught his attention and uh, he heard about the uh, the harvest coming to uh, the pit in Albuquerque. That was their basketball arena. And uh, he looked up while he was driving, and he happened to be driving right past it at that moment. Wow. And um, he pulled into the parking lot, uh, went inside, just randomly had no idea what it was, and, um, you know, enjoyed enjoyed the music. Um, but he had, he was on his way. He was literally on his way to spend the last of his money to buy enough uh, drugs to to commit suicide. Wow! wow. Uh, by and he uh, he ended up committing his life to Christ that night, and uh, turned his whole life around. Ended up uh, meeting with us when we uh, came to our crusade. Chicago and shared this story with us, and he's serving in the church, and he's uh, he's a man of God now, and and uh, the Lord's been using him all of these years since then, and you know we hear it, we hear stories like that all the time. It's it's just the power of the gospel. Yeah, you know, it's not what we do. It's not the fact that uh, we hold these events. The only thing that uh, really changes a person's life is is meeting Jesus, and um, you know if we've been yeah, faithful to do anything. Pastor Greg has been faithful to communicate the gospel message. Mm. That's um, the power of God into salvation. And so, uh, you know, we don't, when you come to a Harvest Crusade, it's it's a simple event. We have live festive uh, uh, music. Some of the best Christian artists come and um, de- declare the gospel with us through their music and through their giftedness. And, you know, we have... Um, a great time of worship, and uh, at times we'll have maybe a testimony uh, of somebody talking about how God changed their lives. And then Pastor Greg gets up and gives a, a very simple message of what it means to be born again, to be a follower of Jesus. And um, and we see thousands of people respond, and not, not just people in our our generation, but people from generations ahead of us and people, young people from generations behind us, which mm. is very encouraging. Yeah. And I'm wondering, as people respond, I, I had the um, the privilege when I was younger to go to a Billy Graham crusade and kind of watch it all. And you see just thousands of people streaming down. What does follow up look like after people go to a to a crusade and they come to yeah. know Jesus? Well, how do you guys how do you do follow up? How do you how do you support sure. them after that? Sure, that's always a, a, a main question. You know, people look at the, the at the event, the exterior of the event, and they see thousands of people. And you know, the obvious question is, well, do all of these people really get saved? And and the and the truthful answer is no. It's mm-hmm. not always that they're there for different reasons. Some are recommitting their lives. Some are 
um, just inquiring. They're still searching, and but some uh, are making a, a profound, uh, life-changing decision to to follow Jesus based on the on the message that they've heard. So uh, we always uh, tell churches, and we we never go into community that we aren't invited into, mm. and we need to be invited by the local church because the local church is the organism that's going to do the the uh, follow-up and help people grow in their faith. And so when we feel like we have a good relationship with local churches that will that will help us in that follow-up, then we'll respond. And, uh, and the way we, we respond is always um, based on relationships. You know, all effective uh, evangelism is at its core relational, whether it's one-on-one or you're sitting in a church and hearing a message from a pastor, you're probably brought there by uh, a congregant. People don't just typically walk in like Errol and, uh, mm. and, and, you know, make that kind of decision. It's usually a relationship that yep. they've, they have made and somebody brings them. In fact, more than 80%, and we learned this from uh, Billy Graham's crusade, more than 80% of the people who come forward at a crusade were literally brought by a Christian to the wow. event. So um, the follow-up begins there, begins at the very front, you know, by by leveraging our relationships um, and others who come to the event. We encourage them to bring their friends, and then we have a high degree of confidence that they're going to bring them back into their church if they respond. So what we do is we train thousands of counselors uh, before a, a crusade event, and um, the question they ask those people that come down to the front to make a commitment is, what's the name of the person uh, who brought you and, and what church do they attend? Mm. And, um, and then we enlist that church to do the follow-up counseling. And, uh, you know, it's not a perfect method, but it's, uh, it's as close as we can get to, to, the, um, to making that relational connection to the person that brought them and, and, and to the church that they, they go to. That's powerful. The, the, the power of friendship and community and connection is powerful. Well, we're really excited exactly. here, here at AM 1160. We're uh, having a contest uh, that allows some people to go out to California to be a part of this. So I just want to share about that for our people. Uh, the contest runs from May 6th to May 31st, uh, and we're calling it SoCal Harvest the Flyaway Contest. And everyone who enters will receive a free copy of Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. And people can go register online at 1160hope.com slash contest. That's 1160hope.com slash contest. And here's what you'll win. you win airfare for two from O'Hare uh, to John Wayne International Airport. You'll get hotel for two uh, for three nights and a $700 Visa gift card to offset the cost of car rental and food. And that's to go to the SoCal Harvest on Friday, August 23rd through Sunday, August 25th at Angel Stadium in Anaheim to see Pastor Greg Laurie, but also for King and Country, Lecrae, Jeremy Camp, Phil Wickham, and more. So you can go to 1160hope.com slash contest. And again, just by entering, you'll get a free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revolution. Well, Pastor John Collins, I know Ian and I both wish we could enter that and come. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Well, go ahead. I know. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time to join us you again. Bet. Thank you, uh, Pastor Collins. We appreciate it. You bet. God bless you guys. God bless you, too. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, and if you've been around our show at all over the past four months, can you believe we've done this for four months? I, I actually really can't. That it's seems nuts. Day, like, I don't know. We used to be like three weeks, four weeks, and now it's like four months. It's... Again, you say we. You you were like that. Oh, it's, we're like a married couple now. We're okay. speaking together. <laughs> I do not like the direction this is heading at all. Uh, but we are both pastors, uh, so I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Deer. And you are teaching pastor at Community Christian Church in Naperville. And be, uh, as pastors, one of the things that we both love doing that we have shared often on this show is that we love preaching. Uh, it is a major part of what both of us do. And so we, we thought a cool intersection of our jobs, or I thought a cool intersection of our jobs, uh, each Monday is to answer the question, what did we preach yesterday? And just, you know, maybe you're out there and you miss church or... Um, yeah, or you're looking for a church, and it's just an opportunity for us to give a little bit of hopefully encouragement and just say, hey, here's what we shared out of God's Word yesterday, and we'd love to share. So I know you were telling us last week uh, that you were going to have the opportunity to park to uh, preach at one of the community churches down in the city, uh, and you were excited to do that. So how did that go? What would you talk about? Yeah, this is not going to be encouraging because I just talked about hell. <laughs> Brimstone, because that's your style. Judgment, that is my style. There's some people right now going, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. So we actually talked on communication. So um, last week we talked about conflict. Uh, The week before we were talking about vulnerability. And uh, so to set it up, we were. It was not all that surprising yet. Also, kind of overwhelming how much research there is uh, that cites poor communication as like the number one reason for why relationships break down. Uh, Gottman over uh, University of Washington was talking about it as the number one reason for divorce in our country. Uh, So poor communication is something that it's kind of one of those like head nod moments that even if you're not, you know, team Jesus in the room, you're kind of like, yeah, I want to be better at that. And and the people that I love and the people that, you know, I'm close to, I, I recognize that I struggle in that area. So we, we talked about, James one nineteen, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And I said, hey, anytime the Bible says take note of this, that means take note of this. Like this is worth honing in on. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and mm-hmm. slow to become angry. And I kind of confessed that I'm often the opposite. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm slow to listen and I'm quick to speak yeah. and quick to become angry. And why, you know, why that's uh, that's a, a frustrating switch. But um, Adam McHugh said, uh, good listening starts with the scandalous premise. That this conversation is not about you. Mm. And so that that for, for me was kind of the jumping off point. And we talked about what happens uh, in people's lives when we don't listen to them and when we're not actually present or we're like physically there, but not emotionally at all, or we're distracted, we're on our phone. And there's this great uh, verse in Proverbs, Proverbs eighteen thirteen, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Mm. And I thought about this idea that for, for a lot of us, we listen to respond, not to understand yep. sometimes with good intentions, right? We jump right to fix it mode. I want to make this better for you. And when, when, you know, more often than not, People don't want a solution. They want support. They yeah. just want you to, you know, just to be with them. And so there's this great story in, in Luke chapter 18 where Jesus is, is, you know, is kind of surrounded by this crowd and this blind beggar calls out to him. Yep. And even though the crowd is like, no, we got to keep going. Literally, people are telling the blind beggar to shut up. Jesus stops and he like crouches down low and he, he even addresses the guy and he says, what, what do you want me to do for you? Which is such an important question because he doesn't assume the answer. He actually lets the man like speak it. You know, he says, I want to see, and he just, you know, we always jump right to the miracle. He restores his sight, but like, I, I think there's a lot of miracles in that story of him, like standing against the flow of the crowd mm. and actually crouching down low. And he does these things all the time. Jesus is always 
touching lepers when he doesn't have to. He still yeah. he still could heal them, but he's touching them. Why? Because they haven't been touched maybe in twenty mm-hmm. years. Like there's there's all this other context that I think is really really important. And you know I don't know for for me to set the whole thing up and uh, it landed with this quote by uh, David Osberger and he said being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And I was like so I, in the room I was like just think about the last time somebody really listened to you. Like just gave you all their attention. Yep. It probably felt a lot like being loved because yep. it is. And so it was, a, it was a really practical one, but also one of those really convicting messages because I'm not good at it. Like throughout the whole preparation process, I was like, Oh man, <laughs> like I'm really missing the mark here and I'm screwing up there. And it, so it was one of those messages that really preached to me, but it also was mother's day, which was a yep. blast. We yep. just get to celebrate all the moms and talk about you know, mothering isn't solely an act of biology. Now there's lots of women that have been spiritual moms to us. And so, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah, I was an all around great day, man. That's cool. What would be, uh, what was the takeaway for people? Listen better or yeah. So we, we evaluate had, how you do. We, we had this, uh, we had this sort of, uh, ratio on the, on the screen. It was sort of like, um, it was like a, like a math problem that when we actually listen to people. And so we talked about maybe that means setting down your phone or turning off Netflix. What do we have to say no to, you know, in order to say yes to the people in our lives to actually know people. Well, um, we talked about, uh, the need for empathy, not just sympathy. You know, Brene Brown calls it like getting into the pit with people, Mm -hmm. like not assuming we know the answers, not jumping right to conclusions to actually sit with people in their pain and grief to allow them to really be known rather than, I'm going to fix it for you. And when we do those things, the result is people actually end up feeling loved. That's awesome. Yeah. So pretty, pretty practical. Yep. Um, But yeah, it was a great message to teach. Did did you teach? I did. I preached yesterday. I I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, we're in the middle of looking at Jesus's I am statements in the book of John, right? right? right. Coming out of Easter, we're saying we want to kind of get a picture of who Jesus is and what better way to get a picture than to say, how did Jesus describe himself? So there's this theme in the book of John where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am. And yesterday we did, I am the light of the world. And uh, the background of it where, you know, most scholars believe he was standing in front of the charred out 75 foot candelabras in the temple during the feast of the tabernacle that looked back to God's provision. They were celebrating with the Exodus and God staying with them in the pillar of fire, but also pointing forward to the, to the, uh, to the coming Messiah. And he goes in the midst of that. He goes, I am the light of the world. Right. I tried to help people understand. He's not just kind of walking around, turns to his disciples. Like, I don't know how to describe myself. How about I'm the light of the world. No, this was <laughs> right. a deep thing that would have made this. You start to understand why Jesus got killed by the religious leaders. And yes. so, um, but then we just tried to unpack what was he saying to them? But what does that mean for us today? You know, I talked about how light reveals and light illuminates. Mm. It reveals truth. It reveals direction like the rest. You know, so many of us are just reaching around trying to manage our way through this world. And, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth and the life uh, that he's claiming to be the Lord. And so. Mm. Uh, I just told everybody, like everybody standing there had to wrestle with his claim. We have to also. Yeah. Uh, And then if you're like, you know what? I think he's telling the truth. He is the light of the world. Well, then the takeaway becomes you, you, you were, we tried to tell people uh, your takeaway is two things. The first right there in John eight, he says, follow me. Right. Like if I'm the light, then it's like, follow this light Hmm. because because you fully believe it's where hope and life and, and, and restoration and, all of it is found. So I, you know, talk to people, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And then we said to keep the imagery going, we are called to go shine. Like we are called the lights of the world in yeah. Matthew chapter five. And, 
that we are not to go out and be awesome and try to help people come to us. No, we're displaying the light of Christ Hmm. and and trying to help people understand that good news. And that kind of defines our purpose and our mission in this world. Um, It talked about how you remember when Moses Kim comes off the hill and they're like, you're glowing. Like, why was he glowing? Because he met with God. Right. And if we have the Holy Spirit with inside of us, we don't have to be like, oh, how do I glow more? (laughs) It's like that that's a byproduct of it. And so it was good. I, I enjoy, I enjoy every message where you can go old Testament kind of background imagery, help people understand it and then just leave it there. So totally. Did you ever notice when you and I talk about what we preach, we get very, like we start throwing our <laughs> arms around like we're actually preaching. Yeah. I put on a suit. Actually, there's a podium <laughs> in the studio here. I've been pounding the podium. Like Usually when you and I just talk, we're like, just kind of like, like I said, laying, like just kind of laying back, like we got our hands folded, like just kind of talking. When we start talking about preaching, where our hands are going that's everywhere. True. We're going, That's a good observation. (laughs) Hopefully uh, you were able to be in a place of worship yesterday uh, and and you were blessed by whatever uh, your preacher brought out of the God's word. But we like to share what we get to do on a Sunday morning. So this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you join us today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. There's already some good conversation going on there today, specifically around our conversation about valedictorians and salutatorians and reducing competition, uh, competitive culture. And to say that the uh, opinions are across the board would be an understatement. My man. <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of all over the place, and I kind of enjoy it. But we, yeah, that's that's uh, why we put them up on Facebook. So we'd love to have you interact with us there. You can do so at The Common Good uh, Radio Show. You can also find our podcast, The Common Good Podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can find old shows at 1160hope.com. Uh, and you can also text us. The text line is 68683. That's 68683. And uh, there you can type in CG and whatever comments you have uh, for us. So whenever I read about millennials, I always feel like I understand them. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I'm 42 now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing to remind yourself of. What is the age bracket of millennials? Do you have any idea? No. What are you, 36? 36. Yeah, some people say the cutoff is 1980. Some say 78. Some say 83, 84. Okay. Somewhere in there. So I'm probably maybe on the older end of millennials, but now that they're creating new categories, nobody nobody really knows. And for for me, for millennial, it is an age thing, but it's also kind of a... Uh, kind of a perspective thing. Millennials kind of see the world differently. And so with that in mind, on religionnews.com, we found this article that says this, for millennials, mysticism shows a path to their home faith. And I'm going to be really honest, cards on the table here, as we like to say, right? Like me being a little older, raised in the evangelical church. uh, When I read the word mysticism, like, uh, there, if if you could see inside my head, like in a uh, like in a uh, like in a cartoon, there'd be like little red flags going up, right? Oh, really? Yeah, that's how I was raised, right? Uh, so you know, anytime anybody mentioned the word meditation, it was like, well, nope, 
sign of sign of Satan. <laughs> wow, right? That and, sounds balanced. Um, you know, and mysticism <laughs> falls in that. Like, what are you going to make us have crystals and all this stuff? And mm. so, uh, and, and I think that's a little bit generational for me, and, and also the type of church that I grew up in. Uh, but then you start to read this, and and you start to see like, okay, this next generation. Uh, of of evangelicals of Christians, they're really being drawn uh, to aspects of their faith in which uh, it's got a little bit more of a mystical nature, and and they bring up a name and an interview in here that is a name who quotes that I see all over my Facebook all the time, and that's Richard Rohr, uh, and uh, he's a seventy six year old man who like millennials are kind of uh, gravitating to. Uh, and so as we read this, it's basically saying millennials are going back to uh, pathways of worship and expressions of their faith that has a more mystical nature, right? Uh, prayer walks or um, maybe um, uh, kind of the, the lecto, lectio divinia, right? That kind of experiential worship. Uh, and the question is uh, danger or or good or what are the dangers and what are the positives to this? So I'm going to just... Hand it off to you here, because not only are you uh, more millennial than me, but I would say this is more in your wheelhouse in a good way. I would say that just kind of what this article is talking about, to put it another way, you are a lot more likely to quote Richard Rohr than I am, <laughs> uh, more just because of um, proximity to him and and knowing um, he lives next door to me. That's actually, not what so. I meant by oh. proximity. I knew this is where you and I are getting just, to know each other. <laughs> this is where we're getting to know each as other soon way as you too said well. It, you knew I said proximity. I said, well, here's the joke. Here that's it coming. is. <laughs> uh, your familiarity with him. How's that sound? So yeah. as you read this, that millennials, that mysticism is kind of growing. And he, Rohr says that his number one, it's not Catholics who are reading him as much as millennials and Christian millennials. Uh, Post-evangelicals, by the way. Post-evangelicals. That's his main demographic right now, is is millennial post-evangelicals. And so why don't you fill us in a little bit more on this, but just more kind of how, uh, as a pastor, just what what are your interactions with this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to be scared of mysticism the way that you outlined. Like, you were a little bit older than me, but not much, and we were both raised in CMA churches, um, now, to be fair, before joining a CMA church, both of my parents attended sort of a, a hippie church called right? Shalom House. Yeah, really. And, uh, I don't, I don't have any memories of it, but I was told that like if some people would sit on pillows, and there wasn't like traditional pew. So like they came from that to a, you know to the CMA church, which I've loved, and I've loved my uh, my upbringing uh, in that tradition. So uh, you know, my more embrace of this, I don't know, has all that much to do with my age. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's there's still certainly I, I have red flags about certain things at times for sure. Um, but in general, a lot of the the mystical contemplative way is something. In fact, even in the last year, we've taught at community multiple times. I taught Lectio Divina. I Did taught. I, yeah. And, you know, and you're always going to anytime you bring Latin into it, everyone, you know, freaks out. <laughs> like, well, can't we just use English the way the good Lord did? Yeah. Like that's, you know, sometimes I think that there can be. Uh, a skittishness to new things in general, but like Lectio Divina is divine reading. That's what mm. it is. It's it's teaching people a way to sit with the text to allow us to actually 
enter not only the narrative, but the way that our emotions respond to it, which regardless of your denomination, and your upbringing, that's a helpful way to approach yeah. scripture. So I think sometimes we get unnecessarily skittish because like, oh, I've never heard of that word. You're like, OK, just because you've never done a prayer walk doesn't mean that it ends in the pits of hell. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like just cause you've never done it. Yep. One doesn't mean that it's just all these hippie kids. And two doesn't mean that it's new at all. A lot of the desert fathers and mothers wrote in very, uh, mystical constructs. And I think so often it's easy for us to miss how much a product of our own tradition, our own framework and our own worldview that we are. And we talk a little bit about what, you know, what happened at the reformation and what happened at uh, the enlightenment. Yep. And we, we see through those lenses, whether we like it or not. Yep. So sometimes I think it's easy to approach scripture solely from the way that we were taught to approach scripture. And when someone says, Hey, what about this? We get very defensive, even though that person's practice is likely even older than ours, mm. but theirs feels all wackadoo yeah. and often some of the universe, even though like, Nope, there's actually way more centuries behind that practice yeah. than our, like, I, I remember having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone. And I mentioned that the original, original Bible didn't have verses and chapters. And they're like, what kind of craziness are you talking? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, they were so taught That's though. in like a chapter verse memorization, which is all, Good stuff. But I, I think to me, it's no surprise to, at all that millennials in particular are being drawn to this more contemplative approach. And you you see guys like Aaron Nequist in the practice, which was actually at the chapel at Willow, mm. um, providing this more liturgical, mystical space. And I've been a couple of times and was fascinated by the diversity of the people drawn to that. It wasn't just young, tatted people. It was it was old, tired churchmen and women. And yeah. it was everyone in between. So I, I think that there's. There's something really to lowering our guard a little bit and seeing what can we learn from this? Yeah, that's really good, man. I think that it does speak also to what's been missing in the evangelical church over the last generation, right? Like everything, like in terms of space, space or just loudness Mm. or just what we uh, even uh, prioritize. And I mean, I've got more pastors in my life right now who uh, see like when I was younger, I never knew there was even something called a spiritual director. Hmm. And that there seems to be like like everybody like a lot of people I know and pastors including are seeing spiritual directors. Yes. Uh, And that kind of falls under this umbrella. It does. And uh, yeah, I love this quote. They said Richard Rohr's definition of mysticism is experiential knowledge of God. And in evangelical speak, you could call that the quote personal relationship with Jesus Christ. (laughs) Uh, And so for me, this I think he would disagree with that definition, by the way. I do, too. But it was um, it is interesting that. The generation even behind me, this is why I said I think it's a little bit of a of a kind of a uh, not a rejection, but it's a commentary on the evangelical church of the last generation, bigger and faster and louder and everything. Yeah. What are people going to? They're going to contemplation. They're going to the desert fathers. They're going to Anglican churches. They're going back to Catholicism. They're going to places where there's more of that room. And I think it has a lot to do with just how loud our culture is in general and people are being drawn to it. So. Is there dangers to this? Yes, but I would say there's dangers in, in all. Anytime we're talking about things like this, there's dangers, right? There's dangers also in louder and bigger and, and this and that. But uh, I, I'm with you. I'm not sure this is something to be scared of. I, I don't think I would use the word danger either. I think there's things to be mindful of. Mindful but I, yeah, I don't know that a more contemplative, meditative way of approaching Christianity, Bible reading, spirituality. I don't think there's a danger there. I think sometimes when we see them 
only you know as the only way or yeah. or as a non non or as a, a non acceptable way i think any either of those extremes is where we tend to get into trouble in the same way that you know plenty yes. of people throughout the generations have have said that drums are the devil's instrument and uh you know I, if you're interested in, interested in organ church that's fine too yep. you know i i think the, the diversity of expressions is really really important to what it means to be the body of christ yeah i think fear is probably the wrong way to put it. i think mindful is a good word I think that's a good way to put it. I think if we uh, we would love to hear from you, uh, you can go to Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or you can text us at 68683. Well, coming up next, uh, we read an article that talks about one thing that could sabotage your career. And I think you might be surprised or not surprised by what that is. What's the one thing this article says can sabotage your career? We're going to discuss that next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us today. You can follow us uh, on Facebook. I almost said at Facebook.com and then, you know. You still, you can. At Facebook.com. <laughs> the Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by whatever comment you have. You can also find old shows wherever it is you find your podcasts. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review. Old shows also at 1160hope.com. You said find your podcast, kind of like the guy that sells popcorn at the ballpark. <laughs> find your podcast. <laughs> find your podcast. Podcast yeah. here. Podcast. Yeah. Anywhere you get podcasts. Hey, I need two. I need two. Huh? Podcast. 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 <laughs> Why would you take two? No, that's like when you with the popcorn. You know, I, you're know, your kid. Just, I need two. It's just so funny that you'd order two. <laughs> I want two podcasts. Two podcasts. Different platforms. Podcast here. <laughs> I'll never forget years ago, my wife and I, this is before we had kids, we, went to, we were at a wedding in Kansas City. <laughs> And we went to a baseball game. This has yeah. nothing to do with anything we're talking about. Outstanding. We went to a baseball game, and it was uh, it was so not uh, full of people that you could. There was so a guy not you could. He was the lemon chill guy, and he was so loud that you could hear him anywhere where he was in the stadium. No, lemon chill, <laughs> lemon chill. And we played this game like her and I. We were like, we whoever could find him first. It was oh, like where's Bolden? You'd hear him like lemon chill. Oh, oh. Got him! Got him! <laughs> we weren't watching the game at all. I would love to find that one of those guys is actually like really mild mannered and quiet at home. Uh, excuse me, would you like a lemon show? Like they, like they <laughs> shout for a living, and at home they're just really meek and quiet. <laughs> probably, you know, they probably yeah, pass the gravy, please. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like they are at, at home is how they are at work. They're like yeah. gravy, please, gravy, <laughs> gravy. Like Thanksgiving, honey, of all days, just be quiet. <laughs> oh, that's speaking good. of none of that. Oh, boy. Well, before uh, before our last uh, segment ended, I said this. We teased it with this, and that is uh, this article that said, if you want to sabotage your career, do this. And there was a study that came out recently uh, that said, if you want to sabotage your career, disconnect to spend more time with your children. And so uh, this feels like this article and the study, and it's CNBC. Like, this isn't Christianity Today. Therefore, Jesus says, instead, choose your kids over your career, right? Like he's, I don't think Jesus ever said that, by the way. He applied it. He applied it. So, but chapter CNBC, and verse, please. Yep. Uh, I believe that was in uh, Fourth Corinthians mm. chapter seven. Oh, that one of my it. favorites in the King James, obviously, uh, and in the Message also. Was, weirdly, they connected with each other on that one. <laughs> I got him. Oh boy, I got him. Yeah, right. The segment so, is over. <laughs> and so it says. 
that that in the rise of flexible work arrangements, even paternity leave, shortened work weeks, studies reveal that taking advantage of these benefits hurts your chances of advancement. That according to a recent study, parents who work part time have a 21 percent chance of being promoted within the next three years, while full time counterparts have a 45 percent chance. And the average mother waits two years longer for promotion than the average father. And to be honest with you, the part time full time thing. Uh, taking the father and mother thing off of it, but the part-time full-time thing that makes sense actually, right? Like, but it then raises the question of that. Each one of us face, like, am I going to go career or am I going to go kid after I have kids? And am I willing to pay the price for one or the other? I guess what I want to say here is first and foremost, I think the one thing that I would agree with that, that this article highlights is that there's going to be a tension as you become a parent between that you're going to have to navigate between career advancement and being present in your kids' lives. And I think that we each either um, really overtly or subtly make that choice at some point. So you've got young kids. Uh, church works probably a little bit different than what they're talking about here, but not altogether different. Yeah. Uh, so how are you even now at these kids' young age starting to wrestle through this? I haven't seen them in three months. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, it is difficult to, because like you said, I think it actually probably is much more in the category of subtle than overt. Mm-hmm. Because when faced with, I think if it was more overt, more people would choose family. Mm-hmm. I think that is hope so. the yep. deceptive power of like just one more shift and just one more hour mm-hmm. or more and then you wake up and your kid just graduated and you're like oh, where did my family go yes. i think that's the thing that we miss because it is so subtle and it feels like just one more in all these different categories i also think uh anecdotally the rest of the world does maternity and paternity leave way better than we do um with the exception of a couple of companies like my my brother's a lawyer in detroit and i think he gets um i think he gets eight weeks paternity leave uh, which is great. Like he just loves a chance to like be with his family yep. and he takes full advantage of it. And I celebrate him from that. Mm. Like he's also just insanely smart. So like if it ever became an issue with this one particular job, he'd be fine. Mm. I think often the, the lie, the myth that keeps us maybe working longer, harder than we should is that we keep thinking that like rest is just on the other side of the hill. Yeah. And the exception is if you are at the very top, then you have, you know, maybe total control. Or yeah. if you started the business, you know, then you could go to all your kids' track meets and not have to answer to anybody. But I, I think there is often a subtle, invisible, like, uh, cultural pressure that even if it's not on paper being asked of you, like, oh, if I just put in a little more here, then they'll see my yep. effort and they'll see my hard work. And uh, I think what lies beneath that is the belief that, well, my family's not going anywhere. Yes. Like, I could lose my job, but my family will understand. And I think... Sometimes, yeah, that that is true. Most likely, your family will understand to a point, um, but to keep abusing that in the pursuit of whatever success looks like, I think is a that's a dangerous tightrope to walk. Yeah, and it says this issue extends not just to things like paternity and maternity leave, but to a variety of workers in a variety of situations. Those who wish to leave the office early to see their kids' school play or attend parent right. teacher conferences. Uh, part-timers attempting to sufficiently bridge their duties to both their families and their employees and though employers and those who go so far as to leave the job market for a few years to focus on their children during their formative years. And, and I, you know, as much as we want to bang our, our, our hand on the, on the table and say, this has to change in many ways, this is just the, in the culture we live in, this is just the waters that we swim in. And therefore we have to decide, each one of us have to decide, am I, am I going to be about career advancement primarily? Right. Or am I going to be about 
my family primarily. And I, and I think the danger, like you said, is is the subtleness of it. It is the subtle. Well, if I just miss this baseball game, it'll be fine. Yeah, because one baseball game turns into 40, turns exactly. into, oh, he's in college now. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, um, and and so there there needs to be conversations between husbands and wives, probably, of saying, mm-hmm. what's it look like? Like, what is what do we need versus what do we yeah. want? And, um, and uh, I love how they end this article. They say the key to instituting change in the workplace is for top executives to lead by example. Yeah. Because you hear this. All, I've never worked in the quote unquote business world, but everybody I've ever talked to often tells me, oh, it's just the CEO. It's the president. It's who works the most hours. And that's always counterintuitive to me. I always think well, when you reach the top, right. you probably start delegating and go off. But it's not how it works. Yep. We we often say speed of the leader, speed of the team. Yep. What's being modeled at the top is whether they're good at it or not is what the rest of the team is going to implement. Yep. yep. And so if you are, if you're out there listening and you're a leader of an organization and you think your people work too much or they're ignoring their families, probably a tough indication for yeah, you. You're no probably going to want to look in the mirror, but for all of us out there, regardless of what you do, whether you are, you know, an executive, a, a white collar worker, a blue collar worker, you're a pastor like us, uh, there does come a point where you're just going to need to make some hard decisions one way or the other. And it's gonna can I up. lean in on that a little bit? Yeah, I think ahead. you're right on. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to get even more heavy handed. Go for it. If you're a Christ follower, mm. I cannot imagine a universe where God would call you. If we could use the word call, let's toss around all the time to ignore your family for the pursuit mm. of career. Mm. Like to me, and and I'm speaking to myself here, yep. the amount of times I've like done one more project or stayed a little bit later. Like I, I totally get, I don't, as best I can understand a theology of family, a theology of work. Yep. I don't believe that God would, would call us to neglect our family yep. in the pursuit of achievement. Now yeah. that doesn't mean we don't hustle hard. We don't work hard. There have been times like in our work where you're sitting down to family dinner and someone's hospitalized. Sometimes yep. that means, yep, Hey, I, I have to, as a part of my role, that's not, I'm not saying that's not totally appropriate, but as an arc, as a narrative, as a general posture, yep. Work before family is a really toxic, upside down way to, to live your life. And sometimes I think the motive is, yeah, but if I just put work over family for a, a season, then I can afford to send them to private school. Or I can afford to buy them that instrument or I can, you know, so we, we feel justified because it feels like we're putting our family first. And again, I'm not telling anybody how to, I'm brand new with this. I have no idea what I'm yeah. doing, but I, to me that thinking get seems it. dangerous. And you get it pastorally too. And yeah, so, I've seen it too. And I would say this to end this conversation that one of the hard parts, one of the tricky parts about the culture that we live in now versus a generation ago is just because you're home doesn't mean you're disconnected. Yeah, right. In or fact, present at all. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't mean you're disconnected from work or present at home. This isn't just a necessarily about presence or like a physical presence. This is hmm. engaging your family and disconnecting from work. And we've talked a million times on this show about how that's healthy for your own soul. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's also uh, about your family and right. which one are you going to choose uh, as your priority? It's good stuff, man. Well, coming up next, uh, Speaking of changing gears, if you if around Mother's Day, when you're on Facebook or Instagram, you see a lot of people, especially at big churches, posting from photo booths at church uh, and uh, asking, what is that phenomenon? Christianity Today said, welcome to church. Want to take a selfie? We're going to talk about that article coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins, who is dancing in right now to this music, which I'm very appreciative of. No shame. Why this music? You've not danced in any of the other music I today. don't know, man. This song just gets me. 
Wow, that was said interestingly, too. <laughs> it's me. It just gets me <laughs> deep in my feels. Uh, alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Now, I am not dancing to this, but you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Uh, you can text us at 68683. That is 68683. Type in CG and any comments you have. Uh, we would love to interact. Like we said, we've got some good interaction going on right now, even from today's show or earlier on uh, on Facebook. Uh, from when we talked about valedictorian, salutatorians, and is it are they good or is it something that we agree with the school that's taken them away? So we would love to hear your feedback about that as well. And again, the, the feedback's all across the board, and I think that's what we want. We want to believe that there's people listening, A, but that there's people listening out there uh, who don't <laughs> anyone believe, there. right? Who don't all believe the same thing. Like, do you sometimes have people ask you, like, who do you think listens to your show? And my first answer is, I'm like, I have no idea. Your answer is my mom, I think, is that. Well, she, I know she yeah. listens. Your <laughs> wife and my mom. But uh, but the second answer is, like, I hope that it's people kind of across the spectrum who, you know, would love to talk, but don't necessarily agree with each other on all things. And so I would like to think that. But that's why we want to have interaction with you so we can learn who you are and we can have contact and we can see that that is actually the case. So text us, Facebook, whatever it is, uh, and we would love to interact with you. Well, Christianity Today today, that's always a weird way to thing to say. Christianity Today today uh, had an article today that said, Welcome to church, want to take a selfie. And the premise is this, at Mother's Day, at Easter, kind of one of the big things to do, specifically at a lot of the bigger churches, and you'll see this online, uh, is having the selfie booth or the picture booth. So mom can take a picture with the kids, or you take a picture like, I love my church, this kind of thing. Uh, and it's an interesting, I, it caught my eye because I found it just an interesting thing at Christianity Today to be even having a conversation about like, is this okay? Is this something that's good? And, and it expands. Sometimes you and I like to kind of dive into uh, more church questions because we are both pastors. And so we think about these things, but it gets to kind of the role of, of the, uh, the role of social media uh, within, uh, within churches. So a lot of bigger churches, I don't know if your church does, but he literally have social media teams that think about this kind of thing. Um, and so uh, as we, I, I want to take it away from the selfies, although if you've got an idea about this, I'd love to hear it. Uh, but even beyond that kind of the role of social media within the church, and I guess more so, is there any, uh, anything for us to be cautious about anything that, uh, that is too far when it comes to, uh, churches and their kind of social media strategy. I may surprise you with this one um, because I tend to be the guy that, you know, is banging the drum that if we're too digital, we're going to miss the humanity of what it means to be the church. And if we're so focused on mm-hmm. what tend to be these sort of like picture perfect depictions of ourselves mm-hmm. that aren't actually real. Um, I think there's, there's implications to that, right? It does sort of subtly perpetuate this idea that, Hey, unless, unless you look awesome and are doing something awesome, you're mm-hmm. nothing. Right. Um, because I, I think for a lot of millennials and Gen Z, there is this constant insatiable appetite to be affirmed and recognized in some capacity, which I certainly feel the weight of that yeah. too. But I also think that like, if you have, Millennials and Gen Z already within your community that are already sharing and maybe even oversharing. Is there some value to the church encouraging them like, all right, keep sharing, but maybe use that as an avenue. Maybe use that as a as a resource, as a vehicle to uh, to share your faith, to invite others to be a part of the physical community. Right. I think that there needs to be some accountability there. And you asked, you know, do we have a social media team? We have a communications team. So, yeah. so part of that is thinking through how do we engage in a way that's helpful? Because 
I don't think the church's response should be, let's just bury our head in the sand exactly. and wait till this whole social media thing blows over. Wait like, till this Twitter thing <laughs> falls apart. It's not blowing over. It might be something new in 10 years, but it's not going away. And that isn't just a like, uh, well, if you can't beat them, join them. I don't think it's a, a full adoption of like every principle and every methodology. But I think uh, if I could say this way, whether it's social media or politics, Christians aren't just called to engage it, but elevate it, mm. right? How do we en- oh, en- that'll preach. engage is one aspect, yeah. engage with politics, engage with social media, but how do we, can we engage in a way that like raises the collective water level? Like, Hey, though, man, the people over there at four corners community church, they use social media, but they're, man, when I stumble upon their stuff, it's like encouraging or challenging or convicting or thoughtful. It isn't just putrid. It isn't just vitriol. It's actually, it doesn't always have to be positive, encouraging either. You know what I mean? Like it could be uh, whips, uh, <laughs> but, but you, you get what I mean though, right? It could, oh, it could, it could yes. be tough. Freud and slip, we call that. <laughs> I don't think Freud had anything to do with that, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, it can be difficult and still be valuable. In yeah. fact, some of the most valuable things are difficult. So I don't know. There is something about the selfie jumping off point that you brought up that I think that may not always be the most helpful way, but I will say this, man, when we're intent on even something as silly as asking everyone to check in on Facebook, which seems like such a small ask on a Sunday morning. We legitimately have people like, oh, I didn't realize my neighbor went to your church or I didn't know that. Mm. Oh, that that showed up in my feed. I think I'm like, Oh, you have a Monday night service. I might actually check that out. Like wow. it, it actually can be a really helpful, a uh, helpful way to, uh, to let people know what's going on there without it being, super kitschy or yeah. like really gimmicky. I think there's a way to do that. Yeah. I, I think you said that all really well. I think the only danger danger is even the wrong word because I don't, I'm not sure it's a big one, but of these kind of photo booths, everybody smiling, holding up. I love my church or this or that is it just kind of gives subtly a message that says everybody here is really cheery. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's what our church is all about. Cheery and happy. And, and Hey, if you can't stand and smile for this picture, then you probably can't be here. If that's not mm-hmm. how your life feels right sure. now. But I do think that the tendency is to put our heads in the sand and be like, no, this is, you know, all of this new stuff, like social media stuff is sinful or it's just bad. We got to be careful. And so, I do think churches need to be creative about how to leverage social media to uh, to help people know that the church is there, uh, to help people connect with the church, and to even help people understand who Jesus is and make it easy, like you said, for their people to connect with their neighbors. Uh, so here, share this Easter invite, share this whatever. I think it's great. Um, and uh, I, man, you said something, uh, so I'm going to put it back on you. I just would love for you to to expand on it because I think you're right on and. When you said Christians need to elevate it, not uh, I forget exactly how you said it. But that's how you ended it. Need to elevate, yeah, the not just media. engage, but elevate. Yeah. You, can you flesh that out a little bit? How do you think we can do that well? Yeah, I think. Uh, gosh, I could answer that a couple of different ways. One um, where I think we struggle the most isn't even necessarily in our initial content creation, but in how we respond to one another. Um, that's not to say that I don't see a bunch of hateful stuff yep. <laughs> posted as memes and whatever, but where it, where it really seems to fall apart, at least in my very limited scope is in the comment section. Mm. And I like watch Christ followers just go at it often with each other, <laughs> which I think I want to, I want to like write them privately and say, Hey, you know, we all can see this, right? Like this is public like, to me, how we actually disagree with one another, how we have conflict yeah. is such a great barometer for how willing we are to actually enter into the gray. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, to post a meme, 
There's a lot of stuff that's posted. You and I have talked about this. We're like, I just disagree with you politically, but that yep. wasn't vitriolic. That wasn't malicious. It just was a different conclusion. That's fine. I think it's even good. I think we need to have like good, healthy conflict in the in the body of Christ. I think for me, um, the kind of stuff that we choose to share, like I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone post something and then the first comment is, hey, this actually isn't accurate yeah. or this was a, a hoax. And they say, "Oh well, I didn't. I didn't know that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it up." And you're like, "No, we have a responsibility as yeah. Christ followers when called out to say, hey, that's just outright not factual or a total hoax to to have some some accountability." To say, "All right, well then, I'm not going to leave this out in the universe then, because when someone, it's like in any interpersonal disagreement, someone calls something out and you, I'm like, uh, well, that stings a little bit, yeah, but I think you're right, yep. so I'm going to take some steps to resolve that." Um, I think that's how we elevate it. We show some humility to say, "Oh." You're totally right. And I'm bummed that this isn't true or I'm bummed that you called me out in front of everybody, but uh, you're totally right. And I want to model some Christ-like humility in that moment too. And I think that's how we not just engage, but elevate. I think that's the most important part of this conversation. That's our takeaway because we've all had that moment. You asked me last week, jokingly, like, have I ever had a moment where I saw a congregant post something on Facebook that just really, and I said, you mean today? <laughs> if you right. if you asked me that question again today, I would have to give you the same answer. No so kidding. I saw something this morning huh. and it's just discouraging and deflating and you want to be like, we're better than that. Yeah, like, right. We are. I know you. I know you personally. You don't, you would never speak that way to another person. Right. But you would in the meme that you put up or whatever you put up and totally. uh, that's discouraging. So uh, elevating social media. I think that's a really good call. Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham. Lecrae for King and Country. You could win the chance to see them all live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We're giving away for a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim, including airfare, hotel, and a $700 Visa gift card. A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revelation, is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com slash contest. Well, coming up next, let's land this plane. Let's do it. It's just our, our fun time where we find fun stuff on the Internet that fun hopefully time. makes us laugh. Uh, so that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and it is that time again. What time, Brian? Oh, it is It is silliness time. It is crazy time. It is. What do we keep calling it? What would be another word for it? We've only been calling it the same thing for four months. It is internet insanity. I think we went with interweb. Yeah, I never really understood that. No? No. Can we explain the internet I do. to you? Is that right? <laughs> What is the difference between the internet and the interweb? I mean, we'll get Al Gore in here next week and he'll, he'll explain it all to you. The way this works, for those of you who are new to the show, is that our executive producer, Keith Conrad, has picked out uh, some funny stories. Sometimes they're slightly disturbing. Uh, really, it's it's a mirror to Keith's mood for the weekend or the day. <laughs> That's true. That's and so point. we read them sight unseen, and we do not choose the story. We do not choose uh, the funny drop that goes with it. Uh, and we will laugh with you or we will be just disgusted with you. But whatever you're feeling, we're feeling as well. So email or contact Keith, not us, if you are angered by them. Sound good? Yeah, that was good. You go first. All right, here we go. This one's out of New York. Uh, New York City waiter returns $424,000 check to customer despite no tip. Ha! 
Wow, that is... That's a lot there. This is the opposite of how you'd respond. Yep. <laughs> we found any story, by the way, where there's just someone finding a bag of money. Brian's like, keep it! Keeping it. Tell nobody. Shouldn't have lost it. A waiter at a New York City pizzeria returned a $424,000 cashier's check to a woman who accidentally left it behind and didn't leave a tip. Waiter Armando Marcage, who is now my hero, came across a check in an envelope containing a cashier's check while clearing a table at Patsy's Restaurant in Harlem on May 4th. Uh, Karen Vinacour, ooh, a retired social worker, <laughs> left the money behind while eating lunch with the daughter at Patsy's. Vinacour brought along the cashier's check as a down payment for a condo to buy in the neighborhood. Jeez Louise. Then she actually left the check, uh, accidentally left the check on her table before leaving the restaurant. I'm happy for her, really. <laughs> Saturdays are pretty busy, and I was very close to taking everything left on the table and throwing it out when I saw an envelope. Despite not receiving a tip from Vinacour for a service, Marcage uh, gave the check to Patsy's owner for safekeeping. Money, money, money. <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. a couple important uh, points to that story. One is why was it just not an enormous golf check? Like That's what I picture with it being that big. But that was the down payment for a condo? Yeah, that's. I was thinking the same thing. I was New trying York not to, City, man. No kidding. Jeez Next Louise. one is out of England. Company lists paid position for luxury yacht tester. Hmm. A London-based company posted a job opening seeking someone who wants to get paid to test some unusual products, the luxury yacht. Bye, Felicia. I'm going. Hush, hush. <laughs> a London-based luxury store and concierge service said it is seeking someone whose job it would be to ensure the luxury yacht listed on the e-commerce site met high standards. It will be on a pro rata parada parada parada. I think it's uh, the words parana. <laughs> Self-employed basis. <laughs> so you'll we'll need to be flexible with when we need you. The job pays thirteen hundred dollars per yacht review. What? And candidates could potentially inspect up to fifty yachts per year and collect up to sixty five thousand dollars. Is this where I tell you that that is a yacht of money? Oh, gosh, Brian. <laughs> next one. Even for me. You can't tell me next one. I'll decide when it's the next one. I, do you think either of us have the uh, the chops to decide what meets these high standards? Uh, no, but it would be awesome I to just try. the whole time be like, I'm on a yacht. It would be- <laughs> I'm on a yacht. Okay, California. Ride-sharing cars carry more germs than toilet seats, nice. study says. Oh, boy. Hop into the back seat when your Uber or Lyft pulls up. Well, you may want to rethink that decision. Uh-huh. After new research research shows the back seats rideshare vehicles are germier than a toilet seat. Did not know germier was a word, by the way. And perhaps more dangerous than sitting up front. That's according to a study by insurance company NetQuote, which says the average rideshare vehicle has about 219 times as many germs as the average taxi, taxi uh-huh. which is cleaned regularly. Just a... Uh Threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did. That That's is gross. awful. 35,000 times germier than the average toilet seat, by the way. I'm going to use the word germier today. Minnesota. <laughs> Trooper had bone to pick with Minnesota driver who put skeleton in passenger seat. Some people do all they can to avoid traffic. The, this driver wanted to use the Minnesota pass lane reserved for buses, motorcycles, and carpoolers. Uh, single drivers must purchase a device to be kept in their car that deletes a fee from the prepaid account every time the lane is used. <laughs> this driver wanted to appear as he was carpooling, so he dressed up a skeleton <laughs> to look like a human. No idea he got the idea online. No doubt he got the idea online where others have dressed up dummies, mannequins, dolls to do the same thing. That's genius. You wanted to see a body? Yeah, that's right. Just uh, roll her old bones on over here and I'll dig up your daughter. 
Oh, oh, Ferris Bueller. All right, last one. New Jersey, your home state. My home state. Homeowner stumbles on two bears battling tooth and claw across home's front lawn. Two bears were caught on camera battling it on the front lawn outside of family's host, uh, house. Host Carrie Bale has seen his fair share of wild animals. Deer, fox, coyote, you name it, he said. Never has he seen black bears brawling like this. It was incredible, he said. From the back deck, he was incredibly close to the wrestling and swatting claws. They were not playing around. I tried to get an interview with him, but they said, nope, you can't do that. He's a live bear. He will literally rip your face off. <laughs> That's awesome. That is actually not that far from where I grew up. No kidding. That is not far. The Garden State's a wonderful place. Let's go wrestle a bear. Well, we're done with our Monday, man. It's now on to Tuesday. You sound excited. I am. I felt like I couldn't talk today, so I'm excited to get at it tomorrow. (laughs) Try again tomorrow. It's Beauty of Radio. We'll get to do it again. Well, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad you joined us today. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.